morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday, the 22nd of February. It's Budget Day in Hong Kong, and welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. Hong Kong Financial Secretary Paul Chan will deliver his 2023-24 budget for the SAR later this morning with a focus on reviving the city's economy and attracting talent. Hong Kong's economy contracted by 3.5% in 2022, the third year in the past four that GDP has declined. Economists don't expect the government to give out more consumption vouchers, suggesting a shift away from the popular measure intended to boost spending during the pandemic. But economists do expect Mr Chan to focus his budget address today on what the city will do to attract more foreign talent. Chief Executive John Lee has made reversing an exodus of residents a key priority. PMI surveys in the US came in stronger than expected in February. The S&P Global Manufacturing PMI for the US increased to 47.8 last month from 46.9 in January and beating forecasts of 47.1. The reading pointed to a fourth consecutive month of falling factory activity, although it was the smallest in the current sequence of declines. And the services PMI in the United States increased to 50.5 points in February from 46.8 points in January and beating expectations again. The report warned, though, of concerns over a wage price spiral, accelerating service sector price growth, which could add to calls for higher interest rates and which in turn could subdue the nascent expansion. Philippine lawmakers approved on Tuesday the country's entry into the world's biggest free trade bloc with supporters arguing it will boost investment and jobs, while detractors warned it could hurt farmers. The Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership includes 10 Southeast Asian economies, along with China, Japan, South Korea, New Zealand and Australia, with members accounting for around 30% of global GDP. Before the Senate's overwhelming approval on Tuesday, the Philippines was the last holdout to the trade deal, which is an agreement to lower tariffs and open up the services sector. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, Martin Henniker, Head of Asia Investment Advisory at St. James's Place Wealth Management, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. And do please keep all those texts and messages coming. You can text 6393 email moneytalk at rthk.hk, or on Facebook, Money Talk, on RTHK Radio 3, and on Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, investors repriced bonds lower and interest rate expectations higher. That sent US stocks tumbling by the most this year. The S&P 500 slid 2% to close at 3,997, marking its worst day since December the 15th. The Dow dropped 697 points, or 2.1%, to close at 33,130, taking the index into the red for the year. And the Nasdaq Composite pulled back by 2.5%, ending at 11,492. The Pan-European Stock 600 index closed 0.2% lower. Shares of Credit Suisse fell over 4% to an all-time low on reports that regulators are investigating the Swiss bank's chairman, Axel Lehmann, over the accuracy of comments he made in December, where he claimed customer outflows had steadied and, in some cases, reversed. London's FTSE 100, that dropped half a percent. Here in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dipped 357 points, or 1.7%, to 20,529, weighed down by tech stocks. 
Hong Kong's benchmark index has slumped almost 10% since its recent peak on January the 27th, wiping out more than 360 billion US dollars of value from the city's stock market. The tech index tumbled 3.6%. Shares of JD.com slumped 8.5% after it was reported that the company is launching a 10 billion yuan, that's 1.5 billion US dollar, subsidy campaign in early March to compete against rival uh, PDD Holdings, who owns budget shopping app Pindodo. The Shanghai Composite, that rose half a percent to 3,307. And HSBC reported fourth quarter pre-tax profits of 5.2 billion US dollars, beating analyst estimates, and that was 108% higher than the two and a half percent, uh, the two and a half billion from a year ago. Analysts had expected a jump of around 87%. In the fourth quarter, the bank put aside 1.4 billion US dollars in reserves for potential impaired loans to China's commercial real estate sector and also corporate exposures in the UK. HSBC will pay a final dividend of 23 cents a share for 2022. That's the highest dividend in four years. And the bank said it would consider handing shareholders a special dividend when it completes the sale of its Canadian business. Shares of HSBC closed 2% lower in Hong Kong. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil fell 1% to $82.73 a barrel. Natural gas prices have continued their decline and are now at the lowest since September 2020, trading at $2.07. And gold is at $1,836 an ounce. In the bond markets, the benchmark 10-year Treasury yield climbed 14 basis points to 3.95%, while the two-year rate advanced 13 basis points to 4.73%, and both rates reached levels not seen since last November. And the US dollar index is slightly firmer. The euro trading this morning at $1.06.5. The buck's worth 134.89 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.21 and nine Hong Kong dollars and 50 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.89 in offshore markets this morning. Bitcoin is down over 2% at 24,400. And Asia Pacific stock markets are trading to the downside at the open in Australia. They're SX200 off three quarters of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 0.8%. In South Korea, the Cosby has tumbled one and a quarter percent at the open. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to decline about 70 points when trading gets going here. And for the last time on a Wednesday morning for me, I can introduce our uh, regular guest, Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant. Morning, Stuart. Good morning, Peter. And uh, yes, thank you for highlighting that uh, I've been a regular guest for the last eight years while you've been the host of Bunny Talk. And I'd just like to take the opportunity now, because I don't think we'll get a chance at the end because we always run out of time, but to say what an honour and a privilege this has been for the last eight years to participate with you in the show. I think we've achieved the objective that we've always had to inform and educate in an entertaining way the financial industry for for our listeners. So um, I hope that's been achieved for everybody. But also, I'd just like to also uh, po- point out that you've been very much involved with Operation Santa Claus as well every year, and uh, we shouldn't underestimate your participation in that. So while I have the opportunity, I'd just like to say thank you and good luck for your future. Well, thank you very much, Stuart.
That's very kind of you. And the, the honour and the privilege has been all mine to work with you over the past eight years and uh, I've had some lovely emails from listeners over the past week or so and several of them have mentioned this Wednesday programme. In fact, I'll try and read one of them out at the end of the show. Also with us, Martin Henniker, who's Head of Asia Investment Advisory at St James's Place Wealth Management. Morning to you, Martin. Yeah, good morning, Peter. And of course, I fully you know, echo Stuart's uh, words. I couldn't say it better, so I don't say anything further, but I fully concur with that and look forward to this last show. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Great. And also over in Washington, D.C., as always on a Wednesday, we have our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning to you, Barry. <laughs> Good morning, Peter. Peter, I want to say, echoing Stuart, that uh, you're a man of integrity, honesty, fairness, all of which makes for real professionalism, and you will be missed. Thank you. Well, thank you, Barry. That's very kind of you indeed. Let's get on with uh, some of the things that are going on. Of course, it's Budget Day here in Hong Kong. Paul Chan's going to present his 2023-24 budget. Three things going to be in focus, reviving the economy. Consumption vouchers, maybe. Will they be? Uh, will we get more of them? And also how to attract talent. I think, Stuart, it's probably fair to say, isn't it, that this year, it's always tough doing the budget, but I think it's maybe a tougher task than normal because he's got to find a way uh, to provide incentives to, to revive the economy, boost our international image. But, but at the same time, our fiscal deficit is, is out of control, really, isn't it? Yes, although it's quite interesting that for me, and, and I've been here for a long time, um, this seems to be a budget that has had least of the sort of pre-budget um, noise that we get in the media. Um, it's going to be a tough task trying to balance it. Yes, um, he does need to try to balance it because that's part of the requirements under um, Article 107 of Basic Law that uh, Hong Kong has to have a balanced budget. Uh, so what will he do? Will he increase taxes? Um, the people are, are, are calling for increased taxes on tobacco. Um, they're in calling for an increase in taxes on, bud on betting, which mm. um, has not happened for quite a long time. Uh, maybe there'll be an increase in taxes on alcohol. We haven't had that for a while as well, um, as taxes have come down on alcohol generally. Um, but, of course, the other thing is, will he give money away to boost spending? Uh, if you look at uh, what um, has been done in the last couple of years, 2021, um, $5,000 was given out per person, and then in uh, 2022, 10000 was given out per person. And thank you very much. We all enjoyed <laughs> receiving that and spending that. I hope we've all spent it anyway. And the aggregate cost of that was over 100 billion Hong Kong dollars. But the government still has a lot of money. Um, the government has fiscal reserves that will cover at least the next 12 months of, of government spending. So the question is, is it all going to be clawed back through the budget this time, or is he going to take a little bit of a punt and say, as, as a lot of people are forecasting, the second half of this year is going to get a lot better than the first half, and then that will be the time when money will start coming back into the coffers. Okay. It's, it's a big ask. Yeah, a lot of things for him to think about. And Martin, yeah. the city has got to refocus, hasn't it? Now it's reopened to China and the rest of the world. We've got other financial hubs in the region like Singapore trying to um, dethrone Hong Kong really as, as, as a financial hub and a top destination for business. It's trying to compete with us as well uh, to attract talent. 
We're in for a real battle, aren't we, this year? But Paul Chan's got to come up and deliver. Yes, and I'm, you know, I mean, I, I don't envy the policymakers. It's it's going to be always very tricky to, to balance the difference and needs there. But I'm not going to really speculate on, on what, you know, the tax news might be, etc. I mean, I, well, let's say the world and the economies are complicated enough and then um, often enough economies don't correlate with equity markets anyway. So on the topic of Hong Kong, maybe one thing for me to say, when you look at it, from the perspective of an international investor, I think there are sort of three things that people are missing on Hong Kong. Um, number one is that there's actually very low equity market valuation still. Number two, uh, for all the dual listed equities um, that are that are in Shanghai and in Hong Kong, um, the, when you look at the AH premium index, it trades at a 27% discount in Hong Kong terms. So you, you, you get on top of the relatively cheap valuation that 27% discount. And thirdly, unlike in the US, where we will probably come to in a minute where you see those inflationary pressures really pretty persistent in China, the PPI actually came in at a negative um, 0.8% year on year in January. CPI is only 2.1. So if anything, you know, there, there might be potential room for, for slight further easing rather than all this pressure to increase, which makes it a really good diversifier. So I think that's something to bear in mind. Okay. Barry, I suppose, you know, we're talking about our surplus is declining, but if we compare the fiscal situation here to the pressures that uh, the Treasury Secretary has in the US, at least we have a surplus to, to start with. Well, you're right. And uh, yes, we've talked many times about the runaway deficit spending here in the United States. It is indeed uh, ranging all the way from five to ten, even higher of percentage of GDP. So we've got a problem. The flip side of that is that people have tremendous faith in the United States dollar and thus its value against other currencies, if anything, has risen. So there's a contradiction there. But uh, yes, I agree with what you just said. And, and where there's a lot of talk about raising the debt limits. This happens every year, doesn't it? It's where the, the US seems to get into this bind over raising the debt ceiling and then there's all these threats of a default. How real um, is that at the moment? Probably just like all the previous times, you know, that there will be a deal at the last moment and we don't even know when that might be. But of course, there could always be a debacle with somebody getting angry at uh, someone else in the Congress and uh, nothing happening. Mm. Even if there was a temporary default, it would be a day or two. But it hasn't happened and it would be a problem. And financial markets are fragile. So anything is possible and it's uh, certainly not a good situation. Stuart, let me ask you about one of the specific measures that Paul Chan's going to have to deal with, and that's how to attract um, talent and, and, in effect, reverse the brain drain that we've seen over the last couple of years. What, what can he do? We've heard suggestions like maybe exempt employees in strategic businesses from paying salary taxes, maybe paying examination and tuition fees uh, for people. But what, what can we do? Because everyone wants talent right now, don't they? Singapore's trying to do it. Japan's trying to do it. What are we going to do? Well, first of all, I mean, you mentioned Singapore earlier on. Singapore is scoring, scoring own goals all the time at the moment. Uh, there have been plenty of reports about how expensive Singapore is, and we're already seeing many of those that left Hong Kong to go to Singapore starting to come back to Hong Kong. Frankly, um, the best way in which people will come back to Hong Kong will be to give 
Hong Kong a better media presence. I don't think, I mean, tinkering around by paying for fees and this or that, that's very small relative to the, the total. And I think the best way of doing it is to just get better PR for Hong Kong in the global press. And, and I mean, generally, Hong Kong is very poor at this and, and, has, and has for years not covered itself in glory when talking to the, the media around the world. And that will be, to me, probably one of the best things that it could possibly spend money on right now, uh, just to make people aware that Hong Kong is open, China has come back into Hong Kong, that the, the economy is improving, business has carried on as normal, and we are growing again. Well, what do you make of the current media campaign? There is one that started already, isn't there? What's it called? Hello, Hong Hello, Kong. Hello, Hong Kong. Yes, yeah, a half a million uh, airline tickets. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good start. I'm not sure that it's necessarily targeting nece- uh, the, the people that will um, come here from a, to, to live, to work. Uh, it's mainly targeting at the tourist market, and, mm. and it's, it's very much weighted towards the Asian, Southeast Asian markets at the moment. Maybe it will open up to Europe and America um, during the second half of this year. That's the plan, I'm told. But mm. uh, in the short term, it's, it, it's not making such a big difference. But, but I would say, and, I, and this is something I've heard from many people I've talked to, Hong Kong represents a very good opportunity, especially for younger people, maybe coming as, uh, on their own just to, to start a career. And that would be, for me, the best way of focusing on getting the talent in. Start your career here. Build a career here. Don't come in to Hong Kong during the middle of your career. Make it at the start rather mm-hmm. than later on. And that, I think, would be a good way in lo- of looking at it. Okay. And Martin, consumption vouchers. We've got rather used to them, haven't we, over the last uh, two years or so. Obviously, they were designed to boost um, spending while the borders were shut. Um, do we need more? Do we still need to try and boost consumption? And is consumption vouchers the right way to do that? And, and can we afford them? Well, the latest of what I've been reading is that it may be relatively less likely that they are going to be rolled out, and I would sort of, you know, think that that seems to make sense to me as the border, or, you know, border is opening up, um, and you see the traffic both across the border really picking up steam. You see traffic within China really picking up steam. So I think you know consumption will be um, better. So maybe you can look at um, other areas as, as well. But I think. Maybe, you know, for everything to settle, you know, back and for um, for China and Hong Kong um, to be shining again, maybe it just needs a little bit of time as well for people to focus back uh, on the economic uh, situation, economic growth in China as it opens up versus other major economies. You know, you mentioned earlier the the debt and deficit in the United States. Actually, one thing that's hardly been picked up last week, there was a CBO, Congressional Budget Office report coming out saying this year the deficit is up again, likely or projected at 1.4 trillion. The next 10 years, uh, 2 trillion uh, each uh, year. And that doesn't really seem that uh, sustainable. In fact, the interest, the higher interest rates, because they're paying now because of the higher interest rates, could drive that deficit and the deficit in turn can translate into inflationary pressure. So they may not get out of it that uh, that easily. And at the same time, you see the GDP figures in China projected to, to, to be higher. 
Um, so overall, you know, longer term uh, with all this and RCP benefits potentially coming through in Asia as well. I'm sort of optimistic about the region as a whole, um, you know, uh, uh, including, you know, where we are placed as well. And of course, from the stock market perspective, over 50 percent is related to mainland companies anyway. Mm. Well, what about um, reducing stamp duty for, for uh, stock transactions? He's actually put it up, hasn't he, in uh, 2021, um, which actually led to a market sell-off at the time. But if we want to attract companies to come here, we want to attract them maybe to get secondary listings um, here in the city, wouldn't that be a good way of doing it? Yes, uh, it might It might certainly help. But I think, generally speaking, when you actually look at the trading volume of the stock market in Hong Kong versus Singapore, uh, Singapore uh, it's it's still you know hugely higher, and I hope that this will help you know attract companies. I mean, uh, in secondary listing, but also perhaps new uh, allies. There, there has been discussion about Saudi Aramco from uh, from uh, Saudi Arabia potentially listing here, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So if China really has a commitment to support Hong Kong in this way, and of course Hong Kong can support China. Um, uh, at the same time, I think um, you know smaller changes. And stem due to other smaller factors may may weigh less, you know, than leveraging the strengths of China and allies and 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 the strengths of China we have seen in the trade dominance with a lot of other emerging market countries. You know, if that keeps building over time and then leads to friendships and listing here, that might be a much more powerful factor. Okay, Barry, can I turn to the U.S. Um, because there's been quite a lot of economic data out, hasn't there? Um, and the markets sending out a very strong signal today that take note of what the Fed is saying. Interest rates are going higher. We've seen um, the, the, the terminal rates, which is where the markets think interest rates are going to peak. It's now at 5.36%. That's the highest yet. But until maybe today, stocks hadn't taken much notice of that, had they? But the stock investors seem to be getting the message now. Absolutely. No, you're right. Look, we had a big rally in January. February was okay. But all of the gains of 2023 have now been wiped out in a single day's trading. So, yes, you're right. Markets are finally getting the message that this economy is stronger than had been expected and that, therefore, rates are going to continue to go up longer than most market participants apparently had expected. But I agree. It's exactly that. And it's also the fact that earnings have held up good, but the forecasts are down. So that is in the market as well. But this has been a very significant sell-off. We haven't seen that combination for a while, have we, of rising interest rates and then declining earnings expectations, which historically is not good news for, uh, for stock markets because so far um, companies' earnings have held up pretty well, haven't they, over, over the last few years, even through the pa pandemic. Uh, they've sort of beaten expectations anyway. Yes, that's right. And look, the 10-year has now risen sharply, the yield, up to 3.95%. Mm, and yet 4%. you've got the two-year at 4.73. So this inverted yield curve is signaling bad times ahead. I think people are beginning, at least market participants, beginning to believe that. I, There's that, Barry, suddenly they, a lot of pessimism. Barry, are they taking into account the geopolitical tensions as well? Absolutely. Look, this is a problem. The Biden administration is determined that Ukraine will, if not win, Russia will not win. That's the minimum. Mm. There's a danger there. And let's face it, 
U.S.-China relations, if anything, have gotten worse week by week. Yeah. So, yeah, I think those are very much in the market. That, that meeting between Anthony Blinken and, and Wang Yi seems to have made things worse rather than better, doesn't it? Because they both came, both sides came out with pretty angry statements after that meeting. That's well, correct. And don't forget, you've got uh, foreign minister, not foreign minister, but top uh, international advisor, Wang, in Moscow. And that's laying the groundwork, it is assumed, for President Xi to visit Moscow. And you've got this American warning about weapons to Ukraine. So where this plays out is a question mark and it's a danger. And that's in the market. Martin, are you surprised by the, the economic data from the U.S., just how strong it is? We had that retail sales data, didn't we? We had the PMI data overnight, which beat expectations um, as well. The services sector in particular seems to be holding up um, pretty well. And inflation, although it is declining, um, not, not near, nearly as much as people were hoping. And I'm not surprised as inflation is stickier. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I think the high deficits, you know, a number of... Uh, Senior market participants, economists, etc., have been warning for a long time that it's not just all about the strength of the economy and the interest rates, but the high deficit potentially driving inflation. Now, for the PMI numbers, you know, part of that is also inflationary pressures coming through. I give you a quick quote from the PMI report that was out just about eight hours ago, I believe, the S&P Global Flash PMI. One interesting. Um, part here. It says February data signaled a sharper rise in output charges across the private sector. The pace of increase in selling pricing was the quickest since last October and steep overall. Firms reportedly passed through hikes um, as cost through their clients. Now that tells you two things again. Inflation is still stickier. Also, it affects the PMI. And thirdly, and maybe that's, you know, the most important thing again from my or investor's perspective, I think over time, um, you know, I think there's still a role to play for any type of inflation-proof assets in portfolios as the Fed with the high debt load may be limited uh, to of increasing rates. Same in Europe, but Italy, Italian yield surge again. So they are limited to fight it. I think ultimately inflation may be more persistent. You, you, you have stickier negative real interest rates, losing purchasing power and cash. So when protecting money from inflationary risk, uh, we might see a bit of a rebound or a bit of a revaluation of the value of inflation-proof assets. That may everything from property, commodities, but also equities, as principally it's an inflation-proof asset where firms pass these costs through if they still have an edge in the market. Okay. Well, sadly, um, that's it for today. That's it as well from, uh, for, for me on a Wednesday on the, on the past eight years. We did all the thank yous at the beginning. But Stuart and Barry, look, I've had lots of really kind messages and emails from people over the last couple of weeks. There's one that I think you will like. It comes from Mike Ellis. He posted on Facebook. He says, thanks for a really interesting and informative start to the day, Peter. I always love listening to the Wednesday dream team of you, Barry and Stuart. Always very entertaining. So thank you, Mike, and thank you, uh, thank you, Stuart and Barry, for Bravo. being the dream thank team. You. <laughs> and uh, we'll certainly catch up again soon. Well. Let me give you an update on the on the markets, how they're looking this morning. First of all, in um, Australia, the SX two hundred down three quarters of a percent. The Nikkei two two five in Japan um, is off. Ooh, it's off about zero uh, point eight percent. The Cosby in South Korea down one point one percent. And it looks like uh, the Hang Seng is going to decline about 70 points at the open this morning. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And of course, thank you to Martin as well for being my guest this morning uh, on Money Talk. 
The weather forecast, fine and dry, cool in the morning. The maximum temperature will be around 21 degrees. Moderate to fresh easterly winds, uh, winds, strong offshore at first. Going to be mainly fine and dry, cool mornings in the next few days. Temperature difference between day and night, relatively large. Temperature right now, 15 degrees. It's 58% relative humidity. There is a red fire danger warning in force. There's also a strong monsoon signal uh, in force as well. Stay tuned for back chat coming up after the news. Times 8.31, here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The Immigration Department has declared invalid a visa granted to the mainland scientist He Zheng Kui under Hong Kong's Top Talent Pass scheme and says his application could be subject to criminal proceedings. Kenny Hodgart has more details. He Zheng Kui is a biophysicist who was sentenced to three years in prison in 2019 over illegal medical practices that involved gene editing of human embryos. At the weekend, he posted online that he had had an application to come to Hong Kong under the SAR's new talent admission scheme approved. However, a government spokesman said late last night that after reviewing Hay's application, the Immigration Department suspected the visa had been obtained through false statements. That followed an earlier announcement in the wake of Hay revealing that he planned to explore opportunities with universities and scientific research firms in Hong Kong that applicants for the talent scheme would, starting from today, be required to declare details of any criminal records. The government has announced that daily COVID tests for secondary school students will be scrapped from next month, while those attending primary schools, kindergartens and special schools will have to continue testing every day before school until March the 15th, in what amounts to one of Hong Kong's last mandatory testing regime. Overseas, the US Supreme Court has been hearing arguments in a major case that could weaken legal protections enjoyed by social media giants. The judges are considering an appeal by the family of an American student who died in the 2015 Islamist attacks in Paris. The BBC's Nomia Iqbal reports from Washington. At the heart of the Nomi Gonzalez family case is their claim that YouTube, via its computer algorithms, unlawfully recommended videos to certain users by the terrorist group. They want YouTube's owner Google to take responsibility. But since 1996, online platforms have been protected by a specific section of the Communications Decency Act. Big tech lobbyists say if this is weakened, social media and online marketplaces could be open to costly litigation, which could also lead to tight censorship of who is allowed to post online. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we're looking at school lunches. Catering company Luncheon Stars expanded its lunchbox service to more than 200 primary and secondary schools on Monday and Tuesday after some children fell out after eating its meals. One of them, at least one of them, was reportedly to have gone to hospital. The firm has now passed government inspections and is set to resume its services to some schools, but not all. Saying it had lost so many staff during the pandemic, it can no longer keep up with demand. So was this an isolated incident and should we be worried about the quality of school lunches offered to children? What can be done to prevent this from happening again? After 9.15, we'll look at the maintenance of hospital equipment after a surgical light at an operating theatre fell and injured a medical worker. Let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat 
at rthk.hk or give us a call on two double three double eight two double six. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Amy Chan from Yanchai Hospital, Chiu Chung Hokwan Primary School. Dr. Chung Shan Shan, a senior lecturer at Baptist University's biology department. And Gigi Lau, the head of marketing and sustainability at catering company, Comp 